Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Everybody loves the touchdown. Throws to the back of the end zone and it is touchdown by Holmes. The grand slam. Fly ball to center field. Ethier has done it again. It's a grand slam. The buzzer beater. Gets it to LeBron for three for the win. But how did those players get to that moment? And who built the venue and signed the contracts? Each week, we dig into the business side of sports and give you the answers. This is Sports Business Radio. Now, from our studios in Portland, Oregon, with Sports Business Radio, here's your host, Brian Berger. Well, Happy New Year to you. Thanks for checking out the only show in the country dedicated to covering the business side of sports. Well, we've made a big executive decision here at Sports Business Radio. Going forward, we're going to try this out. We're going to produce a special podcast-only edition of Sports Business Radio. Usually what we bring you is the radio broadcast version of our show. But we're going to do a special podcast edition of Sports Business Radio in the future. So it may be... Shorter than the 48 minutes you become accustomed to, but many times it'll be longer, like this week, than the 48 minutes you become accustomed to. We'll bring you more conversations, more content every week right here on Sports Business Radio. Make sure you download our podcast at sportsbusinessradio.com. You can do that through your web browser. You can also do it via iTunes. And the link to both of those you can find at sportsbusinessradio.com. Coming up on the show this week, Jason Cole... He covers the NFL for Yahoo Sports. He's joined us before. NFL playoffs coming up. Big decisions in Indianapolis. Luck or Manning or both. Shakeups in front offices around the NFL. We'll discuss all of that with Jason Cole coming up in our uh, third segment of the show. I had a chance to catch up with Chad Buchanan, the acting general manager of the Portland Trailblazers. Trailblazers off to a terrific start. And they're doing this even though Brandon Roy, the star of their team, retired, and Greg Oden, the number one pick in 2007, out for the season most likely. We'll catch up with Chad Buchanan and talk about the Portland Trailblazers. That's coming up in segment four. In segment five, Dr. Paul Dennis, our sports psychologist, will join me. I was interested this week when I saw Serena Williams talk about her love-hate relationship with tennis. Andre Agassi, in his book, he wrote about how he hated tennis. But he played tennis for most of his life. Why do athletes say they hate a sport, but then they play it for a long career? We'll talk about that with Dr. Paul Dennis in segment five. A couple of other notes. Visit my sports business blog. Download the SBR podcast on demand. Just go to sportsbusinessradio.com. You can become our Facebook friend. Follow me on Twitter. I'm on Twitter at SB Radio. Sports Business Radio headlines coming up next. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. Stay in the know at sportsbusinessradio.com. Podcasts, blogs, and more. SBR will be right back. It's the age of new media and citizen journalism. 
Everyone with a smartphone and a flip cam is a reporter, and everything is on the record. I'm Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio, and I team with former Nike executive Lee Weinstein to form media training company Everything is on the Record. With a combined 40 years of experience dealing with the media and helping our clients craft authentic messages, we'll help you navigate the tricky media landscape that exists today. Everything is on the Record has provided media training to pro and college athletes, coaches and executives, as well as to government leaders and CEOs. We'll teach you how to break through the clutter with your messages and we'll also assist you when you find yourself in crises. It's time for an innovative new approach to media training that best fits the world we live in today. For more information about Everything is on the Record, visit us online at everythingisontherecord.com. Contact us today to learn more about our innovative approach to media training and how we can meet your specific needs. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at everythingisontherecord.com. It's time, baby. At Sports Business Radio, we're always on top of what's happening in the world of sports. And each week, we break down the stories you need to know about. This is Headlines. I want to be in the headlines. On Sports Business Radio. Sports Business Radio. Well, it's time for this week's Sports Business Radio Headlines. It's college bowl season and a lot of bowl games. Brian Griggs, executive producer, joining me. And uh, some exciting ones. We're here in Oregon, so many people very excited about the Ducks' big 45-38 win in the Rose Bowl. Most points ever scored in a Rose Bowl game. But you look at the TV readings across the board, and you know ESPN, Griggs, took over from Fox doing the BCS broadcast this year, and the ratings have been pretty good. The uh, Rose Bowl was down as far as ratings 10%. But the Fiesta Bowl up 37%. But still, even though the Rose Bowl was down 10%, many, many viewers, third most watched program on ESPN all year. So big ratings for the bowl games on ESPN. Yeah, it was fun. January 2nd was a fun day. I'm a big Duck fan, so I was loving that. And we watched with some friends, got you know the pizza and the whole deal, and it was fun. Great day of bowl games and uh, just you know down to the wire games and you know missed field goals and just the classic college football scenario. So it was fun seeing a lot of that football. And uh, yeah, and then 70 points in the Orange Bowl. West Virginia. <laughs> Insane. Yeah, that's the thing that's been interesting. So many points scored in many of these games. We talked about the Rose Bowl. The Fiesta Bowl was 41-38. Uh, Oklahoma State, and we get to the national championship on Monday, and who knows what that game is going to be like. Alabama and LSU met earlier in the year. LSU won nine to six in a battle of field goals. I'm not a big fan of defense. I like defense, but I'd much rather see 45-38 or 41-38 than a nine to six game. So we'll see. But you know, Greg, something that stuck with me after watching Oregon and Oklahoma State win. Phil Knight has given over $300 million to the University of Oregon. T. Boone's Pickens has given over $265 million to Oklahoma State. And this is just their athletic department. This isn't building libraries or anything like that. And you look at how those wins in the Rose Bowl and the Fiesta Bowl, kind of a culmination of many years of contributions by Phil Knight, by T. Boone's Pickens, and those uh, programs got to the top of the mountain at least this year. Yeah, I agree with that. And like you said, these big, uh, these big, these two guys that give that much money, and you know, uh, you know, there's a couple of great pictures of Phil Knight down on the field after the game. Just that kind of look on his face, like. 
finally I've reached what I was kind of looking for is this big championship kind of win with all the money and, and the uniforms and all the stuff he's donated. So, yeah, it's exciting. I'm sure it is for those guys to see that culmination of, hey, we made it to the top or, you know, near the top as we can this year. Yeah, for Oregon, it had been 95 years since they won a Rose Bowl. So a long, long time. And, you know, everyone talked about Oregon's uniforms, those platinum helmets and the unis and things like that. So a lot of marketing going on. But look, when you get to a BCS Bowl game, you're not making a ton of money as far as the game itself because you're getting about 19 to $22 million. You take your expenses off the top up to $2 million. So that's flying your band down, your athletic staff. But then the rest of that money gets split with your other conference members. So it's not like you're taking home you know, 19 to $22 million if you're a school. But where you make your money is you're getting great media exposure. You are selling a load of merchandise. You have donors who go, you know, it's great to play in these uh, BCS games. This felt good this year. I want to get my checkbook out and write a check. And then it's been proven that, you know, schools that have successful sports programs see a little bit of a spike in people who apply to go to that school, whether it's Duke for basketball or Oregon for football. There's a spike in people who say, you know what? I want to go to that school. Yeah, and it doesn't hurt the recruiting side of it either. You know, you got a lot of kids sitting there on that day off, no school, watching these games, you know, and seeing those crazy helmets and uniforms. And as an 18-year-old, 17-year-old kid, that's the kind of stuff that motivates them. You know, they're like, hey, I can look like a complete awesome dude out there on the field. Let's yeah. go to Oregon or wherever it is. You know? Yeah, I mean, when you see DeAnthony Thomas uh, running like Usain Bolt and he's got that cool uni on, he looks like a comet running down the field. <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah, there's high school kids who, who like that. All right, moving on, the NFL playoffs start this weekend. And, you know, Griggs, I love March Madness. I like the NBA playoffs. I like Major League Baseball playoffs. But to me, NFL playoffs is where it's at. I love the NFL playoffs. And this year, there are so many different teams that could win it. A lot of parity. You know, everything is going to have to go through Green Bay or New England, the number one seeds. Um, You've got big, big names. You know, you've got Aaron Rodgers. You've got Uh, Eli Manning, you've got Drew Brees, Tom Brady, Ben Roethlisberger, all the big names seem to be in the playoffs this year with the exception of maybe Peyton Manning, and we'll get to him in a minute, but uh, I think it's going to be a recipe for great success with ratings on TV, usually is in the NFL playoffs, and uh, it'll be interesting to see who do you like. Yeah, it's it's a tough, I like the Packers because uh, I just love watching Aaron Rodgers play, just commands the field out there. So I think they're going to be good. I mean, their defense is kind of eh, but if they can outscore kind of like uh, an Oregon Duck type offense where they can just keep pounding it in every time, then I think they, they can go pretty far. And they got that bye week too, so they get a little extra rest. But um, yeah, I mean, I agree with you. NFL playoffs, wild card stuff is phenomenal. And you got the single elimination, so every game is like a Super Bowl because you got to right. win to keep going. So yeah, it's very exciting. Lots of matches, like you said, teams that could sneak in there that are kind of surprises. So um, it's going to be fun. At the beginning of the year, I picked Patriot Saints, so I'm going to stick with that prediction. I think if That's anyone good. can go into Lambeau and beat the Packers, it's the Saints. They played a very close matchup at the beginning of the year, came down to the final play. Uh, I know, you know, it's going to be cold in Lambeau, so that'll be different, but uh, we'll see. Some front office shakeups. The one that was stunning to me, Griggs, is that Jim Ursay, the owner of the Colts, fired Bill Polian, longtime executive with the Colts, had been there for 14 years, and his son Chris. Bill Polian built the Buffalo Bills into a Super Bowl contender every year. He helped Carolina get their franchise off the ground. He selected Peyton Manning with the number one pick. He's made really good decisions over the last 14 years. And obviously, there was a disagreement with how to go down the road in the future with the Colts. The Colts now have the number one pick. 
They could take Andrew Luck, who many people think will be the number one pick, including myself. Uh, RG3, Robert Griffith III. You know, some people think he should be the number one pick. Uh, the big decision for Ursay, though, is, all right, who do you bring in as GM now? And you've got a $28 million option due to Peyton Manning in March. Do you pay Peyton Manning $28 million and use that number one pick to trade it to get multiple picks? Do you take Andrew Luck and let him be an understudy under Peyton Manning like Aaron Rodgers was with Brett Favre, like Steve Young was with Joe Montana? A lot of decisions to make, but I'll tell you, one of the more compelling storylines I'm going to be watching over the next few months is what's going on in Indianapolis with the Colts. I agree, and it's it, they're kind of a team that you know for a while was riding high. They were had the you know almost undefeated seasons there a couple times and, and playing good ball, and Peyton was playing great. And now you're seeing that kind of dip, Peyton with the injury and then a terrible record, terrible season this year, and now the firing of the GMs and stuff like that. I think there's going to be a lot of changes in, in the Colts' uh, world in the next season here. Our last headline of the week before we move on, Joe Torre has resigned as executive vice president of Major League Baseball. He is joining an ownership group that's pursuing the Los Angeles Dodgers. So, you know, there's a number of people from Larry King to Magic Johnson to Oral Hershiser and Steve Garvey now throw Joe Torre and a uh, developer from Los Angeles into the mix. And, you know, we're going to see over the next month, Major League Baseball is going to whittle this list down to a few. And then eventually this will be settled via auction, much like the Texas Rangers sale, which came down to an auction between Nolan Ryan and Mark Cuban. By the way, Mark Cuban also may be in on the Dodgers. So it's going to be interesting, Griggs, because there's a who's who of powerful people that want in on the Dodgers. But who's going to be eliminated? Who will be the last Guy standing, that's going to be a pretty compelling story, too. It sounds like a, an edition of the Survivor Show or something, you know? Yeah, like, Survivor, <laughs> Dodgers edition. <laughs> exactly. But yeah, it's going to be one of the stories here in the next month or two to really keep an eye on. And uh, in a way, I think it's kind of good for baseball in the offseason to have something kind of, you know, in a big market like L.A., pushing a story like this when you got big names on the list, you know, Tory and like we mentioned him there. Um, so I think on that side of it, it's going to keep baseball fans kind of in tune to baseball when there's no games playing. Well, and everyone down in Los Angeles cannot stand Frank McCourt. So the sooner he sells this team, the better. And I'm sure people down in Los Angeles very excited about the list of prospective buyers, the credibility and knowledge that they bring to the table to re-energize this iconic franchise that has fallen on hard times in the last few years. All right, coming up next, Jason Cole from Yahoo Sports. He'll join me. We'll talk NFL playoffs. We'll talk front office shakeups. We'll talk about what he would do if he were running the Indianapolis Colts and had to make the decision between Peyton Manning and Andrew Luck. I'm Brian Berger, and you're listening to Sports Business Radio. Stay in touch with SBR on Twitter, twitter.com slash SBRadio. Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. Brian Berger goes one-on-one with the biggest names. My guest is David Stern. He's the commissioner of the NBA. It is always a pleasure, Brian. Bill Hancock, he's the executive director of the Bull Championship Series. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban. Mark, thanks for joining me. My pleasure. My guest is Mickey Loomis. He's the executive vice president and general manager of the world champion New Orleans Saints. Pleasure to be with you guys. Mr. Allen, thanks 
for joining me. Thank you. My guest is Mark Emmert. He's the president of the NCAA. Oh, happy to join you. My pleasure. My guest is Eric Spolstra. He's the head coach of the Miami Heat. Brian, appreciate it. Glad to, uh, glad to be on the show. Mr. Nicholas, it's an honor to have you on Sports Business Radio. Thanks for joining us. My pleasure, Brian. Visit sportsbusinessradio.com and subscribe to our free iTunes podcast. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter and stay connected to the business side of sports only with Sports Business Radio. Back to Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. Joining me on the phone right now, Jason Cole, the NFL reporter for Yahoo Sports. Jason, good morning. How are you? I'm fantastic. What's going on? It's been a while since we caught up, so uh, thanks for making the time. Let's start with talking about what's going on in Indianapolis. I think it's one of the more compelling stories in all of sports. The Polians out over the weekend. A stunning development to many people, including myself. And they've got the number one pick. Obviously, we know about the health of Peyton Manning. What do you see playing out there in Indianapolis? Well, I think a lot depends on who is the next general manager. Is it a young guy who's you know, looking to build something for the next 10 or 12 years? Is it an older guy who's looking at, let's cash in over the next three or four years, take advantage of what they've got with Manning? Because I, I assume that Manning's going to come back and be healthy and he's going to be okay. Uh, based on the doctors that I've talked to, single-level fusions are, are not that complex. The only question is whether the strength comes back in his arm, and you know, they'll know that, you know, before we get to the draft. One way or the other, Andrew Luck is going to be the number one pick. The question is, do you trade it for three or four or five picks so that you can rebuild the team in short order, uh, or are you keeping it and rebuilding the team you know, the more expensive way through free agency uh, and, and you know, try and put some veteran players around Peyton Manning? That's, I think, going to be the big question. Yeah, part of this is dollars and cents, too, as you mentioned, because Peyton Manning is due $28 million in March. You're going to pay Andrew Luck a lot less than that. Do you see the two of them potentially being on the roster at the same time? Because I don't. Uh, yeah, I do. I don't think that that would be a problem. I mean, look, it's not a problem if you're Jim Irsay. Okay? It's a problem. Maybe it's a problem if you're Peyton Manning. Maybe it's a problem if you're Andrew Luck. Maybe it's a problem if you're both. Uh, to be honest with you, if I'm Jim Irsay, I look at them both and say, um, go deal with it. I don't care. Uh, if, I, if I'm, you know, this is, if this is like Joe Montana and Steve Young and uh, I win a couple of Super Bowls as a result and, okay, I've got a little bit of negative, you know, some negativity to deal with along the way, so what? If it's like Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers, even better. I don't care, okay? I just, I'll tell guys, go be big boys about this, uh, and play, and the coach will decide which one of you gets to play, and we'll deal with it once the coach makes his decision. I mean, that's, I, even if it's uncomfortable, that's how I'm going to deal with it. Or do you see a case like Eli Manning, and you say, you know what, I'm not going there, and the agent pulls the power play, and, and you see Andrew Luck force a trade? I don't think that that's within Andrew Luck's character. I really just don't. And, and okay, if he forces a trade... Then he forces a trade, and I've still got a guy who's a plum pick, and I'm getting three. I mean, look, basically the Colts are in a no-lose situation. Right. <laughs> I mean, whatever they decide to do, whether they take the best quarterback in the draft and they wait a couple of years to play him, or they take him and trade him for a bunch of picks, and, and you, know, you get a bunch of players that you put around Peyton Manning for the next three or four years, and you make your run with Peyton Manning, I think you're okay either way. I I, I yeah, I, I don't see this as being. I, I don't see it as being a negative situation for the for the Colts. Yeah, there may be a little bit of negative publicity along the way, but it's not a negative situation. 
We're joined by Jason Cole of Yahoo Sports. He covers the NFL. Let's talk about the coaching carousel. We know there are openings in St. Louis now, opening in Miami. Uh, we also know that, uh, you know, there's a lot of coaches out there that could fill these openings, attractive coaches. Who do you see winding up in those places? Uh, I think that between St. Louis and uh, Jeff Fisher is going to land at one of those two places, either St. Louis or Miami. Uh, and I, I guess it's going to depend on who puts out the most money, because I think he wants to go play for an owner who's got an, a big wallet, not just to pay him, but from the perspective of, uh, give him somebody who will spend on players finally. Because the one thing that Jeff Fisher never really had when he was in Tennessee was you know, a blank check to go get the players that he really wanted to get, whether that was through free agency or re-signing his own guys to you know, big, big extensions to keep them on the roster or you know, to make some kind of big play in the draft. That didn't exist with Bud Adams. Bud was you know closed checkbook kind of guy. So I think that... Jeff Fisher is going to be wowed by the fact that you have two very rich, wealth, very wealthy guys who want to be good at this, and, and they will spend whatever it takes um, to spend to make their teams better. So one of those two is going to win out. Uh, Jacksonville's not going to really work for him, I don't think. And so I think the team, you know, whoever loses out on Fisher between St. Louis and Miami and then Jacksonville and some of these other teams like you know, Tampa Bay, they're, we're going to be looking at coordinators taking over those jobs. Uh, I don't think you're going to see you know, Gruden or Cower come back uh, and get a job in either one of those places um, anytime, anytime soon. And frankly, I wouldn't hire either one of those guys. I might hire Fisher. I wouldn't hire Gruden. I wouldn't hire Cower, and I wouldn't hire um, Brian Billick. Why wouldn't you hire them? They won Super Bowls other places. And, and there's, if you look at the history, there's been 14 men who've won a Super Bowl one place and then gone on to have another job, either you know at least one, or in the case of Bill Parcells, three. He went on to three different places, the Jets, the Cowboys, and the Patriots. They've combined to coach 50 seasons. Okay, In those 50 seasons, they've only appeared in the Super Bowl twice, and they lost both. That was Holmgren, that was Parcells. Their winning percentage as a group is under 50%. It's like 47%. Um, they fail miserably the second and third time around. So if you, if Indianapolis gets rid of Caldwell and you have the number one pick and you bring in Andrew Luck, don't you think that's an, a pretty attractive job to one of those coaches you just mentioned? Yeah, but I also think that I don't I, I don't want them, okay? Because I don't think the odds are very. I mean, look, someday somewhere down the line. Some coach who won a Super Bowl somewhere else is going to go on and win somewhere else. But I think that what happens is those guys getting to the top of that mountain is so hard and so arduous. And once you do it, I think you forget how hard it really is to do. And you, you think it's going to be easy. Look, I watched Jimmy Johnson's entire tenure with the Miami Dolphins. He didn't have the energy to do it again. That's an interesting point. It's a, it's a full, you know, it's an 80 to 100-hour commitment, especially with some of these guys. Look, John Gruden may not be making coach money, and Bill Cowher may not be making coach money, but they're making an awful good living, and there's no stress. Okay, all you do is talk about football. <laughs> okay, I mean, really, it's really, really simple stuff. And, you, you know, you, maybe you work 25 weeks a year, and you make, you know, what, about a million bucks? Not I mean, bad. Well, not bad, number one, and, and you're not throwing your entire life into something else that, that 
you know, look, the job of an NFL coach is really wonderful, and, you know, it's very competitive and all those kinds of wonderful things, but it's a really unhealthy way to live your life, too, in a lot of, in a lot of ways, both mentally and physically. So, I mean, the grind, it's just, it's not the same. I mean, even Joe Gibbs the second time around, I think he forgot just how much work goes into it. And and so I, I just, I, you know, I wouldn't hire one of those guys. I just think, I, I think the odds are very long. And, and, and the proof is, I mean, again, this is 50 years of coaching, 14 different guys, 50 years. None of them has any, had anything close to the kind of success that they had the first time around. We're joined by Jason Cole of Yahoo Sports. He covers the NFL. Just a few minutes left with him. All right, NFL playoffs start this weekend. Last few years, it hasn't been the number one seeds that have gone on to win the Super Bowl. Who do you like in the playoffs this year, Jason? The number one seeds. <laughs> so you think uh, things get back to normal this year? Hey, in New England to make it. Uh, <laughs> so, I mean, not not the most inventive way to look at it, but. Um, like the AFC really comes down to three teams. It's, it's New England, it's Pittsburgh, and Baltimore. And if Cincinnati wins in Houston, which is a very likely scenario, and all, um, basically Pittsburgh and Baltimore are going to you know, play each other and they'll cancel it. You know, one of them's going to cancel the other one out. That means New England probably play, you know, that New England will play Cincinnati, and I think that um, you know, that's, pr- that's a pretty easy one in the second round for, for New England to get by. I mean, I like Andy Dalton and A.J. Green, but I don't think they're ready for that game. Uh, there's, and, and also, Tim Tebow's not going to like be carrying that team through to the, to the Super Bowl this year. I just don't see that either. So uh, if, you, if it breaks down that way, New England's going to have a home game and probably the AFC Championship game against either Baltimore or, or Pittsburgh, and I think it's a pretty good chance that they're going to get by that game. As for Green Bay... Uh, they are going to, you know, get one of, you know, probably Atlanta or New York in the in the uh, in the second round. Uh, I like them in that. I like them in that matchup. Um, and then if they get New Orleans, I don't like New Orleans outdoors uh, in in you know two games in a row because their defense is just not the same. And I don't like San Francisco going up to Green Bay because they just don't have the firepower to, to hang with the Packers in that kind of a game. Yeah, I think you're close. I, I like New Orleans and I like New England. So New Orleans' defense, when they are outside of a dome, is completely. They played five games outside outdoors today this this season. Have you seen the Packers' defense? Yeah, <laughs> there's a difference though. The Packers force a lot more turnovers, whether they're playing on the road or whether they're playing at home. They've got 31 interceptions this year. They play. They're really good at getting turnovers, and in five outdoor games. The Saints' defense has forced only two turnovers. That's a real big problem. Uh, aside from the fact that their you know, their offense is going to have to play outdoors, where they're only averaging I mean I should say only but they're averaging 26 points in five games out outdoors. They're averaging 38 points in 11 games inside. I think it throws off their timing. Plus, here's the other thing: they played 10 of their last 11 games. I think it's either nine or 10 or 10 of their last 11 inside. I don't think they're ready to play games outside. Their defense is going to be a lot slower without the help of a without the help of all the crowd noise that they get. I think it's a completely different situation for the Saints. 
Jason, I appreciate your time. I hear your phone ringing. I'm sure you have many things to do today. And uh, let's catch up again soon during the NFL playoffs. I always like your perspective. No problem. Take care. Thanks. Thanks. That's Jason Cole from Yahoo Sports. He covers the NFL for them. Find him on Twitter at Jason Cole. Podcast this show and any other past SBR episode at sportsbusinessradio.com. Back with more SBR after this. This is just a journey. Drop your worries. You are going to turn out fine. Oh, you turn out fine. Fine. Oh, you turn out fine. But you got to keep your head up. Hi, this is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. It's no secret that we're battling a tough economy these days. It's more difficult than ever for companies to position their brand in a unique way and reach their target audience. Sports Business Radio can help you, though. Sports Business Radio is syndicated in markets nationwide. Our popular podcast is regularly rated in the top 100 business news podcasts on iTunes and has listeners around the world. But our radio network and podcast aren't the only places your company will receive exposure when you join our family of sponsors. We'll also give you exposure via sportsbusinessradio.com and at our new Sports Executive Speaker Series events, which feature a conversation with a key decision maker from the world of sports in front of a live audience. And best of all, we can expose your product to the big-name guests that appear on our show. We'd love to have you on our team. Please contact me at brian at sportsbusinessradio.com or at 503-701-2215 if you're interested in becoming a sponsor of Sports Business Radio. The website is sportsbusinessradio.com. Joining me on the phone now to discuss this Trailblazers roster, the man who has helped build it, Chad Buchanan, the acting GM of the Portland Trailblazers. Chad, good morning. How are you? I'm good, Brian. How are you? Good. When you watch the team early this season, what are you seeing from them that have, has helped them get off to this 4-1 start? Well, yeah, it was a great win last night. Anytime you can win on the road and you know beat a quality team like the Thunder, it's it's great for your confidence. And you know, for a team that's trying to you know acclimate a few new pieces, um, playing a little different style, um, it's, you're going to have some ups and downs early on. I think we've seen that. You know, from one game to the next, you you look at the Clippers game, those first three quarters of that. You know, even you look within a game, you know, from quarter to quarter. You know, it's it's a drastic change in, you know, the style of play because we got a lot of, like I said, key new cogs in our in our rotation. So I think we're going to see some more of those ups and downs here early on in the season. Last night was obviously an up, but, um, you know, when, when you make a change in how you play and your personnel, it takes a little time for everybody to kind of get on the same page. But I think we're, we're definitely making progress at this point. The thing that's amazing, Chad, is the Blazers were one of the slowest teams in the league last year as far as scoring, number of possessions on defense. They were ranked 14th. Now they're ranked third in the league. This has been a drastic change in the style of play, like you said. And five games in, it looks like everyone's caught on rather quickly. Yeah, obviously Raymond Felton's a major part of you know the pace of play that we're playing at right now. You know, obviously having Andre and Brandon being more of, you know, half-court execution type players, that's, you know, Nate did a fabulous job of adjusting to his personnel, and, you know, he's doing it again right now with Raymond, and I think you're seeing Gerald's able to push the tempo a little bit more. We're giving him a little more freedom to take the ball off the board and go with it himself, and, you know, the the faster you play, oftentimes the the easier shots you're going to get, and it's just a matter of, as we've seen, taking care of the ball is obviously an important component of playing fast, and we've had nights where we've done that better than others, but um, it's, it's been a good adjustment so far, and it is, it's a really small sample size. It's only five games in, 
Um, but we like what we've seen so far and, and hope to build off of it. At what point into the season can you usually determine a team's regular tendencies? I think we always in the past have talked about after 20 games, you kind of have an idea of where your team's at. You know, your coach is kind of settled into rotation. Uh, other teams around the league have kind of figured you out a little bit. So you kind of, you know, early on you can catch some teams off guard because especially a team that's playing differently than we have in the past, you know, you can catch some teams off guard early on. But once you've played about 20 games and teams have really scouted you, players have settled into their roles and hopefully they've accepted their roles, which I feel like our guys have done a great job of that so far. I think after about 20 games, you're going to have an idea of where this team is at and, you know, the potential of where it could get to. Well, the schedule plays a big factor. I mean, look, Oklahoma City comes in, plays last night at home. They had played in Dallas the night before. The Blazers are sitting there waiting for them with a little bit of rest. You've got those types of scenarios this season that you may not have in other seasons where teams could come in on their fourth game in five nights and and they're really tired. That's very true, and it's going to be the same thing for us as well. Like you mentioned, we have, you know, our back-to-backs are a little different than a lot of teams around the league just because of the the sheer travel uh, factor of us. You know, Oklahoma City plays a back-to-back, but, you know, it's in Dallas, which is about a 30-minute flight for them, so they're in bed before midnight probably when they get home, whereas, you know, our guys, our back-to-backs are to Phoenix and to Denver and to Utah, which are, you know, long trips. So, you know, it, it is a challenging schedule for all 30 teams, that's for sure, and, there's going to be some nights where I think you know you saw the Thunder last night. Part of it is how we played, but part of it is just the, the nature of their schedule. And, you know, I think they had some tired legs last night, and we took advantage of it. You know, you bring up a good point, and I'm sure you and Nate have discussed this. There's probably not a city in the league, Portland, that has a tougher travel schedule because of where we're geographically located, right up here in the Pacific Northwest. I think you're absolutely right, Brian. You know, we're, you know, we've talked about Miami, but Miami's got, you know, Orlando's close by, uh, Atlanta's close by, New Orleans is close by. I mean, our back-to-backs are, are a little different. And then you talk about traveling to a different time zone. We've looked extensively at the Nuggets, the teams that play in the Pacific time zone and then have to play the next night in Denver. Uh, you lose an hour. It's a long drive from the airport to your hotel in Denver, obviously the altitude, and then they're a great team, too. So they're, you know, it, it's a challenge for us because of the distance we're at. But, you know, Nate's always been a guy. We're not going to make excuses for everything. Everybody's playing the same schedule. But, you know, I think that does factor into to our guys a little bit. But I think it also builds some toughness, some mental toughness that our guys, there's no excuses. You know, we're going to get in late some nights and have to play a good team the next night. And you just got to buck up and play well. We're joined by Chad Buchanan, acting GM of the Portland Trailblazers. Everyone wants to know, how's Greg Oden progressing and how's his rehab going? You know, Greg's kind of taking the next step in, in his rehab, uh, doing some, some work out on the court. Um, we're taking it very slow with Greg. Uh, we want to make sure that he's completely comfortable um, and confident in his knee uh, before he steps back out there. And uh, we're being, being cautious with his return. Um, you know, like I said, we want Greg to feel completely ready when he when it you know when he does get to the point where he's ready to step back out there again but um there's definitely you know some challenges ahead for greg to get to that point and you know we're going to be by his side the whole way do you think there's a scenario where he gets back out on the court this season i hope so i mean nobody nobody knows at this point you know we're just going to follow what the doctors are telling greg to do with his recovery and and see where it goes but you know we're, we hope so but there's there's no guarantees at this point 
So he's an unrestricted free agent at the end of this year. He can walk if he wants to, but do you get the sense that he's got a loyalty to the Blazers because you guys have stuck with him during this rehab process? Yeah, I think Greg's very appreciative of you know the commitment we've made to him over the years. Um, he knows where we stand with him, but you know, ultimately at the end of the day, he is an unrestricted free agent at the end of the season, and you know that's the right of every free agent to to go search around and see what. You know, other options are out there, and, you know, I'd anticipate him to do that. But, you know, he knows where we stand with him, and, you know, we've been by his side from day one and, and hope to see him out there having some success on the court again. You've got a lot of versatility with the roster, Chad, because, you know, Felton's a free agent at the end of this year. You can decide what to do with him. I think you've got a player option on Gerald Wallace. Uh, you've got to make a decision on Batum. But, you know, the worst place to be is to have guys locked up for a long time and have many of them locked up and have no flexibility. You've got some flexibility with this roster. We do. You know, and I think that's the nice part of evaluating our team this year is you have guys, like you mentioned, on short deals. We also got Jamal Crawford as a player option next summer as well that you've got guys that you have a chance to evaluate them and they have a chance to evaluate, you know, our situation, you know, and, and all three of those guys, you know, regards and, you know, do they feel like they like it here? Do they fit with, you know, what we're trying to do out here? And um, it is nice to have that flexibility, but it's also, you know, important for us to be evaluating the guys that are right here on our roster to see if they're long-term fits. And um, we've been very pleased with, with all of our guys up to this point. And, you know, next summer we can look at, you know, Joel Freeland is a guy that will look pretty hard at trying to bring over uh, from Europe next summer. Um, you know, Victor Clare is over there as well. So we have we like having that flexibility going into next summer, um, but we also like the guys that we have here you know, on this team and would like to see a couple of those guys, if not all of them, be a big part of our future. I saw you assign Luke Babbitt and Armand Johnson to the D-League today. How long do you expect to have them down? Well, they have a stretch here of they play six games in nine days starting um, tomorrow or Friday night down in Bakersfield, and we want to give those guys a chance to get some on-court minutes. Those guys have been battling their tails off every day at practice against each other, and um, I think it's time for them to see some fresh new faces in a different uniform out there, you know, getting some game experience. And um, I think it'll be a good chance for them to get a lot of games under their belt in a short period of time. And once we get through those six games, we'll evaluate where both those guys are at. Maybe where, you know, if, if Nate feels like we need to bring one of those guys up, you know, if we have an injury or, or something like that, we'll we'll assess the situation once we get through the, that little nine-day stretch with those guys. But we expect them to go down there and play well, and those guys are both hungry to play. So I'd be surprised if they don't go down there and perform well. Last question for you before I let you go. Lakers tomorrow night at the Rose Garden. Obviously, Lakers going through some changes themselves, new coach, new system. But it's good to measure yourself against the good teams early. Again, Oklahoma City last night, big win for the Blazers. Lakers tomorrow night. Many people think those are two of the top teams in the West. I think it gives you confidence if you can uh, get those big wins early on. Absolutely. You know, the Lakers are still one of the best in the league. And, you know, I know they've had some turnover a little bit with some players, but they still have Kobe. Andrew Bynum is playing phenomenal right now, probably as, as good as any center in the league. You know, Paul Gasol is playing great. Steve Blake is shooting the ball very well for them. So they still, I mean, they're still a championship caliber team. And it will be a good barometer for us. Coming off a big win, you know, hopefully you don't have a letdown. Uh, hopefully the guys, you know, gained a little confidence from winning on the road last night against such a good team in Oklahoma City, and it's going to be a test for us tomorrow night. It's always a test against these guys, and, you know, they come in here, 
you know, with that championship swagger, and we've got to we've got to match it. We've got to come out ready to go from the get go. Well, I've seen some swagger early on. I like the swagger I saw from the Blazers last night, and uh, good things to come for the team this season. Happy New Year to you, Chad, and I appreciate you taking the time. Thanks. Happy New Year to you too, Brian. This is SBR back with more after this. It's the age of new media and citizen journalism. Everyone with a smartphone and a flip cam is a reporter and everything is on the record. I'm Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio, and I team with former Nike executive Lee Weinstein to form media training company Everything is on the Record. With a combined 40 years of experience dealing with the media and helping our clients craft authentic messages, we'll help you navigate the tricky media landscape that exists today. Everything is on the Record has provided media training to pro and college athletes, coaches and executives, as well as to government leaders and CEOs. We'll teach you how to break through the clutter with your messages, and we'll also assist you when you find yourself in crises. It's time for an innovative new approach to media training that best fits the world we live in today. For more information about Everything is on the Record, visit us online at everythingisontherecord.com. Contact us today to learn more about our innovative approach to media training and how we can meet your specific needs. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at everythingisontherecord.com. Back to Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. We're back, and I saw a few days ago comments from Serena Williams, one of the greatest tennis players to ever play. She said she hates tennis. She has a love-hate relationship with the game of tennis. If you've read Andre Agassi's book, he talks about the same love-hate relationship with the game of tennis, and it got me to thinking... Why do athletes who spend so much of their life playing a sport say that they hate it? And I wanted to bring on our resident sports psychologist, Dr. Paul Dennis. Dr. Dennis, Happy New Year. How are you? I'm fine, thanks, Brian. Happy New Year to you, too, and all your listeners. So what do you make of this from Serena Williams? I know both Serena and Andre Agassi had parents who really pushed them at a young age to be elite athletes. Do you think that has something to do with maybe why they hate tennis now? Well, I think it has something to do with that. Uh, you're right about that, Brian. And, and it forces them into this ego orientation so that they're always comparing themselves to other people. And even though they dominated their sport at towards the end of their careers, and that the end of the career may be brought about by other interests that Serena's talking about or just getting tired of the travel and the autographs and all that type of thing. So perhaps they don't have the same passion as they once did. They don't give it all their energy and all their attention. And to me, and, and I'm speculating because I've never had the opportunity to meet this great lady, but it sounds as though she may be self-handicapping. And by that I mean she's putting it out there that these are obstacles that are really difficult for me to overcome. So it's, in a sense, it's, um, it's an excuse prior to a competition. And then, in fact, she has nothing to lose because if she loses, 
people already know why she may have lost. But if she wins, others are going to say, this is incredible. What, an, what a machine, what an athlete. She's overcome these significant obstacles, didn't want to play, doesn't want to travel, doesn't want to compete, and she still wins. So I, I think that has a lot to do with it. And to me, that starts at a very early age. That's interesting. She says, I have actually never liked sports. I have never understood how I became an athlete. I don't like working out. Anything that involves sitting down or shopping, I'm excellent at that, though. <laughs> I know. I, you know, I, I don't mean to say that she's disingenuous with those remarks, because if, if she's really serious about those, then, then it's almost a, a disservice to her fans who love her and support her and admire her and try to emulate her, especially young kids. Um, young kids and parents don't want to hear a professional athlete that has benefited from being in the public spectrum and making tons of money from uh, their, their skills say that, I really don't enjoy this. I never really wanted to be an athlete, and I don't know why I'm good at this. So, uh, again, I think it's related to this self-handicapping that she's putting it out there so that others will admire her even more when she, in fact, does win. And perhaps that's it's, it's a little bit of self-doubt, and, 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 again, it goes back to her, her child-rearing days. Tennis is an interesting sport, too, because tennis players start at a pretty young age, and they play you know, around the clock. They go to these academies, and usually they're done by the time they're 25, 30 years old, and then you've got the whole rest of your life in front of you, and, and what do you do? That's also something that's hard for a lot of athletes. How do you fill the rest of your life after your athletic career is done? Well, that's a great question. I think the one advantage that those athletes do have, even though they may not achieve their goals in the professional field, is that they've learned how to be persistent, uh, dedicated, focused, um, fighting through incredible adversity. And those are skills that are transferable to life. So even though the passion and the love that they have for playing the game at that particular time in their early or to mid-20s, is taken away from them, they can take those skills that got them to that point and transfer them either in education or business or some other perhaps coaching, some other opportunity, some other form of human endeavor, and get the same kind of benefits, the intrinsic satisfaction and motivation from what they learned and what they brought from being an athlete into that other form of endeavor. We're joined by Dr. Paul Dennis, our resident sports psychologist. Dr. Dennis, how many athletes do you think are, have you come across that you've worked with that are driven to succeed by the fear of failure? I hear that often, Brian. I honestly, in my career, and I've met, um, worked primarily with elite athletes and professional athletes, I can't think of one that was driven and motivated because of fear of failure. And, and I think the distinction is they hate to lose, and, and there is that distinction. So athletes that are afraid of failure, usually it's an anxiety issue. They're obsessed with about making mistakes. They use a lot of uh, negative self-talk. Their decision-making is impaired. They, when they do fail, they have a low self-esteem, lack of respect, and they usually burn out a lot sooner. So to be able to become an elite athlete, NCAA athlete, a professional athlete, you're, you're going to burn out really quickly, and you won't get to that level if you are, in fact, afraid of failure. But if you hate to lose, that just means that you're more focused, you're more determined, you're more driven. Why is that? Because winning is so much fun, and that's a healthy way of, of approaching it. And I think uh, those are the, the athletes that I've been fortunate to, to uh, encounter in my career. 
What about people in general, not just athletes, people that want to please their parents? So if you've read Andre Agassi's book, he talks about the hours of drills that his father did with him and some even abusive. And then the Williams sisters, you know, their father, it was like they were the meal ticket early on and they had a lot of hours of working out with their parents. Maybe they just wanted to please their parents and that drove them to success. Well, that that certainly does happen too. But at the same time, you're not going to become a successful athlete unless you have the skill and ability. So your, your parents are certainly the motivating force and, and driving you and taking you to the practices and encouraging you and that type of thing. But you still have to have this talent and this skill and this ability, which evolves as you get older. And with that, you must have the passion. And every major professional athlete that I've met or read about, the one thing that they all have in common is they talk about the passion. When Serena said that she doesn't have this passion or she never had this passion, that's almost an aberration. But to combine passion with skill and ability and this proper mindset, that's why they're where they are. And and athletes that don't have that passion, they either burn out or they, they don't get off the mark when they're younger. We've got a few minutes left with Dr. Paul Dennis, our resident sports psychologist. Dr. Dennis, there's probably no athlete in sports right now that I'm watching closer than Tiger Woods. And we all know about the fall from grace that he's taken. And at the end of this last year, he helped get the winning point in the President's Cup. He won the last tournament of the year, the Chevron Open, which is his first year or his first win in two years. What is Tiger Woods? If you were sitting down with Tiger Woods and saying, all right, we're going to prep for 2012, what do you tell him to get him back to his winning ways? Great question, Brian. I tell him to follow his own advice that he's given us all these years when it comes to performance, and it's all related to the task. So when an athlete such as Tiger, and he's talked about this, he said, I feel anxious, the palms are sweating, I can feel the nerves shaking. I view that, I reinterpret that as a challenge and a thrill. So he cannot focus on his misgivings in the past and everything that's caused this media awareness as to his uh, indiscretions. He has to focus on the task at hand. He has to interpret every situation that he's in on the golf course as a challenge and as a thrill because that's what he said got him to that level in the first place. And so once he revisits that, gets a taste of his own medicine, I think he'll be fine. Well, anyone who's ever played golf, and I certainly have never played at anywhere near an elite level, but you have to concentrate on every shot because if your mind is wandering when you're standing over a putt, especially for someone like him, I would imagine it makes it really tough. It is really tough, but that's within an athlete's control. He cannot control what the gallery's thinking, what the millions of people on television are watching, what the sponsors may or may not do. Focus on the task at hand. Where is the golf ball in relation to the cup? Study the grain, pick out the right club, pick up the right putter, and then just focus that ball going into the cup and, and recreating those moments within his mind. Once he drifts to other things that are outside of his control, he tightens up, and then the expectancy effect takes over, that the brain starts to look for things that could help him miss the shot, and that's in fact what happens. Last question for you before I let you go. I just saw a movie called For the Love of the Game. It's a little bit cheesy, but it's with Kevin Costner, and he's pitching a perfect game in Yankee Stadium. And he does something during the movie when he's on the mound, and he says, find the mechanism. And it's his way. He closes his eyes, and it's his way of removing all the crowd noise and everything that's around you. Is there an exercise that you do with your clients to help them shut out all the distractions and really focus on the moment? 
Well, th- there's a word that I encourage them to use, and it's the word win, because every athlete wants to win, and it's an acronym for what's important now. And if that means um, putting a dot on your glove hand or on your wrist, something that will, well, as soon as you look at that, it reminds you to stay focused, to stay relaxed, to enjoy the moment, and just and, and, and just study the, the uh, uh, successful outcome. That's what you do, whatever it takes now at that particular moment. And that's the strategy that we always use. Great stuff from our resident sports psychologist, Dr. Paul Dennis. Dr. Dennis, again, Happy New Year. Always enjoy our conversations, and thanks for joining me. We'll talk to you again soon. My pleasure, Brian. I look forward to it. Thank you. That's Dr. Paul Dennis. He's based in Toronto, Canada, joining us this morning. And uh, I really like what he has to say, and I'm fascinated by what goes on inside an athlete's head. This is Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. More of the show is coming up. Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. Brian Berger goes one-on-one with the biggest names. My guest is David Stern. He's the commissioner of the NBA. It is always a pleasure, Brian. Bill Hancock, he's the executive director of the Bowl Championship Series. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban. Mark, thanks for joining me. My pleasure. My guest is Mickey Loomis. He's the executive vice president and general manager of the world champion New Orleans Saints. Pleasure to be with you guys. Mr. Allen, thanks for joining me. Thank you. My guest is Mark Emmert. He's the president of the NCAA. Oh, happy to join you. My pleasure. My guest is Eric Spolstra. He's the the head coach of the Miami Heat. Brian, appreciate it. Glad to, glad to be on the show. Mr. Nicholas, it's an honor to have you on Sports Business Radio. Thanks for joining us. My pleasure, Brian. Visit sportsbusinessradio.com and subscribe to our free iTunes podcast. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter and stay connected to the business side of sports only with Sports Business Radio. This is Sports Business Radio. Well, thanks again for tuning in this week. And again, uh, we will be bringing you a podcast-only special edition of Sports Business Radio every week for the foreseeable future. You can get that by going to our website, sportsbusinessradio.com. We have got one of the best, hottest podcasts on iTunes, rated in the top 100 of the business news section. So if you're on iTunes, just type in Sports Business Radio will come up and you can get our podcast for free every week, downloaded to your uh, iPod or whatever mobile device that you have. Thanks to Jason Cole, Chad Buchanan, and Dr. Paul Dennis for joining me this week. Thanks to our show staff, Brian Griggs, Josh Blank, Jared Melzer, Doug Zanger, and Max Waterman. Griggs, uh, have a good week. Uh, enjoy NFL playoffs. I'm excited to watch some games this weekend. Definitely, yeah. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, got some Saturday games, so that's fun, too. You don't have them all on Sunday. But, uh, yeah, NFL playoffs, it's a fun time of year. Uh, championship, BCS championship game coming up, too. Good times. I don't know that I'm that into the BCS national championship game. I'm not either. <laughs> but, hey. I'm a scoring guy. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'll watch it, too, just because we need to. All right, follow me on Twitter, at SB Radio. For Brian Griggs, I'm Brian Berger. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you next week right here on Sports Business Radio.
Hi, this is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. It's no secret that we're battling a tough economy these days. It's more difficult than ever for companies to position their brand in a unique way and reach their target audience. Sports Business Radio can help you, though. Sports Business Radio is syndicated in markets nationwide. Our popular podcast is regularly rated in the top 100 business news podcasts on iTunes and has listeners around the world. But our radio network and podcast aren't the only places your company will receive exposure when you join our family of sponsors. We'll also give you exposure via sportsbusinessradio.com and at our new Sports Executive Speaker Series events, which feature a conversation with a key decision maker from the world of sports in front of a live audience. And best of all, we can expose your product to the big-name guests that appear on our show. We'd love to have you on our team. Please contact me at brian at sportsbusinessradio.com or at 503-701-2215 if you're interested in becoming a sponsor of Sports Business Radio.